Good morning. Much to some of your joy and others' chagrin, I'll not be preaching this morning, but my name is Matt Blazer. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, last fall, when I began planning my surprise paternity leave, first time in 13 years, got to plan one of those, I reached out to a couple of pastors that I wanted to hear more from, pastors who I like listening to talk about uh, the Word. And in 2015, the chaplain of our presbytery, Ken Buck, and I were walking through an Amish fair in Pennsylvania, and he was buying new cups and plates for his people to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as he looked for the right ones um, and spoke about communion, I thought, I want to hear a whole sermon from this guy about communion. He was unable to join us uh, during my paternity leave, but able to join us for this Sunday. So um, I'll still be here to lead communion with him, but I'd like to invite Ken Buck forward to uh, preach on Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? This is indeed the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, Matt, thank you for that very generous uh, introduction, and it's really good to be with you all. I've been up here for Presbytery, for meetings, and it's so good to be back in the state of Connecticut. If you just join me in a quick word of prayer, Lord, I pray that the words that are said here today would be useful to you. We are in your presence, and we know that we are with you, and God, we just thank you for this time together. Uh, We are excited to see your face and to be with you in this Communion Sunday. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I just want to let you know that I understand a few things about you, that you are indeed a poor church. And before you want to raise your eyebrow and wonder why you are even going to listen to me after I tell you that you're the poor church, um, realize I'm just playing a little bit of a, a play on words, a little dad joke, if you will. So now I understand if you really want me to leave because I pulled a pun right off the bat. But... We are indeed a poor church. And that's one of the things that I took from this Acts 2 passage is that what is unique about the church is that it was begun with the Holy Spirit pouring out upon a people, a confused people, a scattered people, of some people who had encountered and knew Jesus, even saw him resurrected and then saw him ascend. But were they organized? Were they, did they have a plan? No. The Spirit of God poured out on them, beginning the church, entering into the last days, and proclaiming to the universe that Christ is indeed king and is sitting on high. But you see, too easily, 2,000 years later, we can take this idea of being a spirit-filled church, a poured-out church, a poor church. It's too easy to go one way and go solely into the supernatural. We need, we need the Spirit on us and doing the things that we can't physically manifest in order to prove that the Spirit is with us. And I think that goes too far, although I'm not limiting the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit wills, right? 
Another way we can go too far is by basically trying to ask the Holy Spirit to be the silent partner of the Trinity and just stay neat and protected and don't uh, mess with our world, so to speak. I think somewhere in there is a kind of a, a not an either-or, but a just, just a different course where the Spirit of God is manifest in His people, has been poured out, identifying, marking, and sending His church forward, gathering it together in the name of Jesus, but also doing it through ordinary means, ordinary ways. So as we take a look at this passage in the book of Acts, what happened? What did God do throughout this passage and then the, and the, and the subsequent story of the earthly reign of a heavenly Jesus. The brute facts. One, we do not control the Spirit. His wind blows wherever He chooses, whenever. We can't contain the Spirit. When filled with the Spirit, we have no other response but to proclaim Christ crucified, Christ risen. The Holy Spirit poured out, changes us, and fills us, and sends us. There is no church without the Holy Spirit and we can't always ask, without the Holy Spirit, are we actually a church? Or are we just a civic organization, a collection of people, a fraternity, a sorority, a civic agency? So as we gather here this morning, and in this season of our, of our lives and culture, um, I'd just like to take a look at what are the marks of a, of a church poured out, a church filled with the Spirit. I think we can experience the pouring of the Holy Spirit through, through worship and through understanding our new identity in Christ, but also through the mission that God sends us out to be a part of. So through worship, um, let's be honest, we, we worship in spirit and truth. A lot of work goes into these services. A lot of work goes into the people that are sitting behind over here running the sound and dealing with new uh, software that apparently is a little bit cumbersome and frustrating. There's a backstory on that one. You can talk to your people about that. They, they're big fans. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into the liturgy. There's a lot that goes into the team being up here that were wonderful to fill in for your people to give them rest. Uh, there's, there's a lot that came in. Matt was so kind and gracious to bring me and my family up here to be with you all. All that goes into this, and yet all of it is just nice, but empty if the Spirit of God is not with us. One of the greatest pastors of the 20th century, D.L. Moody, was credited by another famous pastor who came to hear him and said, clearly this is a work of God. I think he was meaning it as an insult, saying, D.L. Moody, you're a terrible preacher. But Moody took it as the greatest compliment he could possibly have. That without the Spirit of God, we are just a civic organization. But with the Spirit of God, we are worshiping the God of the universe who makes himself present in the way that Jesus became present on earth and dwelt among us. That intimacy, that presence, that openness, that it only happens if God reaches out. So when we gather here, we're identified with Christ and his death and his resurrection. I, a, friend, a good friend of mine told me once that worship, worshiping together is the most important hour of the week, even if we don't feel like it is. Why? Because in that hour, together, we meet with the God of the universe right here, right now. We are being developed by God, transformed by God into his temple, into the place in which God resides. We are strengthened and renewed and formed 
into the image of Jesus, the resurrected Lord. That can only happen through the work of the Spirit. And while we can meet with God in a lot of places, he meets with us in worship. He guarantees that. He tells us to gather. So we should expect nothing less. Another point is that we, our sense of identity changes when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are a church poured out. Paul ta- says in Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, that while we used to look at each other with different eyes, now we see one another as new creations. And we always jump to that new creation part. Let's go back to that. We used to look at people differently. I got to confess to you, I don't used to look at people differently. I got to still look at people differently problem. Oh, they're of that persuasion. They think that about our country. Oh, you won't believe what those people do, how they live, what their customs are. It's so easy for us to see people, maybe for their failings that are genuine and just and present. Or maybe it's for bigotry and biases that we have and impose towards them. But either way, in Christ, we no longer see people by their failings, their faults, or their lackings. We no longer see them by their cultural identity markers, their race, their socioeconomic, their gender, their anything else. And it's not here to, I'm not here to talk a, a, a totem of, of political liberal line, but I'm talking a Jesus line. That there was a dividing wall between two peoples, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he erased the wall. He tore it down through the cross. And he's building up a new humanity. Taking two people who were technically far from him and bringing them near molding them. So I just want to remind you this. When we look at the new creation identity that the Holy Spirit gives us and seals in us, it begins with this. You in Christ are made new. To be honest, if there's only one thing you get out of this morning, may it be the reminder that you indeed, you are seen. You are known. And you are loved by Jesus. You are seen, you are known, you are loved. And now we can take a look at our enemies and we don't have to see them as enemies anymore because we can see them like Jesus sees us. We don't have to feel threatened by them, by anyone's agendas, by anyone's politics or positioning or motivations. Or <clears throat> we can see with love and eyes and hope. We can see Christ. We can see and the, the, the human dignity of each person that Christ sees in us. We see creation through the lens that God sees creation as something that's going to be renewed, that's crying out for him. Jesus forms in us the ability to see the other as family. Not just as friend. See the other as family. The walls of hospitality. Hostility have been torn down. The barriers have been removed. And we are the household of God. And this brings us to the mission. This is where the Holy Spirit now sends us forth to be the ones who bring the foretaste of the kingdom to come. Now, I know this is a terrible analogy, but it's just what I always think of. When you walk through that, I can't remember the last time I walked through a mall food court, but 
for those born in the last year, we had these things that were called food courts, and you walk through, and there's always somebody out at some of these restaurants that were just like, come buy our product, and they just give you that sample. And it's always the bourbon chicken. You know it is. We always want the bourbon chicken. It's sweet, it's good, and friends, may our lives, may our families, may our church communities be sweet and good, and be that, that thy kingdom come on earth to reflect what it is in heaven. And of course, we're going to fail. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to do our best. We're going to try to be spirit-filled, and may we get out of the way of what God wants to do in our communities. Yes, that's what we're sent to. We're sent to be the, bring about the foretaste of the kingdom. We're sent to be the people who seek justice and love mercy and walk with humility. I really love the first two because I can get riled up about them. <clears throat> I'm asked to be humble about it. Ouch. It's so much more self-satisfying to be a, a, a righteous, self-righteous social justice warrior. But no, the Spirit sends us not out to do justice in our name, but in his. So let us represent with humility in the way that Jesus, in his meekness, was strong enough to go to the cross. But that's our people. We bring about the foretaste by being about justice and love and humility. We are set free from the worries of this age and the 401ks and the, how's the economy doing and how's the, how's the disease spreading? How's the recovery? How's anything going? We are... We can still be concerned, but we are set free from worrying and being consumed and being fearful because the Spirit fills us with love and power and not fear. We can see a day. You see, that's the beautiful thing about being in Christ and the Holy Spirit opening our eyes is we see at the end, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. The ark does bend towards justice. Jesus is coming. A friend of mine just called me this week. I've known her for years, and she'd heard about these radical fundamentalist Christians who were longing for Jesus to come again. She's like, is this normal? And I said, yeah, pretty much all of us. Yeah, fun fundamentalist, orthodox, Catholic, liberal, probably. We all are longing for Jesus. Like, that's just, I didn't understand. I did not know that. I thought that, I'm like, yep, that's what we do. Because we can see a day when the wrongs will be made right, when the tears will be wiped away, when peace will be brought, but without domination and fear, but with health and healing and wholeness and love. We see that day coming. We see it in our own transformation of we were far from Jesus and through the faith in Christ we've been brought near and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We see it when we gather together as a community of faith that we know the stories of the people. I love, I'm a I'm an eye-open prayer sometimes. And I love doing that during communion. Because when I look out during communion, we're thanking God for that cup, and I look out and I see, and I love it because, you know, at this church, I don't know you all well. I know a few of you. But I love it when I'm at a church where I know people because I'm drinking and remembering Jesus that he walked among us. But I also see Steve, and I see Linda, and I know the story of how Jesus walked among us today. I see the light at the end of the tunnel because I know how Jesus has changed my life. I see the light at the end of the tunnel because I know the stories of his people surrounding us. In the beauty 
of God revealing himself to us through word and deed and scripture and spirit, we can see the light coming in the cross, in the resurrection. We don't have to understand the nuances. We don't have to know the path it's going to take. But we can see the mystery revealed that Jesus defeated death. And he will heal. And he will make whole. My friends, I think this is where the Holy Spirit is most realized, most tangible in our presence. In the real world action of the sacraments. In worship, we perform and participate in the sacraments because we're gathered together in the name of Jesus. And we witness that they are the acts of God through the Spirit to a poured out church. We gather together to witness what God is doing in the lives of the, those being baptized. We gather together to witness what God has been doing in our midst through the Eucharist. And we are thankful. And we see God... We see God's presence among us. Through identity, uh, our changed identity, through baptism, we are re-identified. We are taken as enemies of God and now brought in as sons and daughters. It's quite a promotion. That's not merely just being forgiven. That's being welcomed. That's being brought in and identified and given a new name, an inheritance that won't fade or be taken away. We are Christ's, and our new identity is in Christ, and he's the one who declares it upon us in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He declares it to us, to one another, and even to the world. He stakes his territory. So then we are sent out to be his people. Now, there's a difference here. I, I chose, I, I, even, I even in my notes put, be his people. I want to highlight that it's not just we're, we're going to be his people. We are to be, we are to be the people who, well, heaven comes down and dwells among us. God himself dwells in our midst, in our lives. We are to enact and to realize and to embody God's presence until he comes again. Barbara Brown Taylor said, with all the conceptual truths in the universe at his disposal, Jesus did not give them something to think about together when he was gone. Instead, he gave them concrete things to do, specific ways of being together in bodily form that would go on teaching them what they needed to know until he was no longer around to teach them himself. Do this, he said. Not believe this. <laughs> do this in remembrance of me. N.T. Wright said that he did not leave us a set of theological books to write and read. He did not leave us a set of uh, dogmas to memorize, but he gave us a meal to eat. How beautiful. I think especially now we can remember how good it is or long to know how good it is to eat a meal together again. And this is where God makes himself known. How do I know this? Well, if you look in, in Luke... Um, Jesus, after the resurrection, he, he appeared to a couple guys that were walking on the road to Emmaus. And they walked with them, and they were, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? And they told him, and told him all about the events. It's funny. They told 
Jesus all about the events that just took place in Jerusalem about the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus sat there. Like, I would not have that discipline. I'd be like, yeah, it's me, guys. But Jesus was just like, oh, cool, tell me more. <laughs> they walked for all day. And then Jesus is starting to unlock, uh, starts to have, a, so here, it's funny. Jesus waits, He's, he actually was going to leave them. Like, no, 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 please stay with us. We got an extra hotel room. Please stay with us. Let's have dinner. He was going to leave them hanging. I think, I don't know. And then he sits down. They remembered and knew who he was because of the way he broke bread with them. This table that we're going to experience this morning. Very different than the tables that Jesus oversaw. I doubt he was peeling back, eating a little wafer, and drinking a little cup. It doesn't matter. The act of communion awakens our memories. It awakens our memories of Jesus. We can see how it awoke the two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus. Nora Ephron says that a family is a group of people who eat the same thing for dinner. Friends, we are a family, not because of a doctrinal statement that we can sign. We are a family, not because of uh, a, a membership list that we enrolled in and our submission to the elder, all of which are good, by the way. We are a family because we eat a certain specific meal together, and we were called to this meal, invited by the master, who had a banquet table that he spread out before, and he wanted all of us from the highways and the byways to be welcomed to his table. So this morning we will dine together. We'll be eating one meal, one that we did not provide, one that we did not prepare, one that we could never pay for. So we will together come to the table empty-handed to receive God's meal. We will receive it together, the gifts of God for the people of God. And then we will leave this week, this place, nourished, we will leave filled. We will leave satisfied in Christ to take this gift to our world. Without the Spirit of God, none of this is possible. But with the Spirit, all things are possible. So friends, let us be and become a poor church by God's grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for how you came and dwelt among us. We thank you that you poured out your life as an offering to defeat death. We thank you that you then left to reign, sitting at the right hand of the Father, but you did not leave us alone, that you sent a spirit to fill us and to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to teach us, to care for us, to mark us and seal us until the day that you return. Lord, we thank you that we remember and that we will dine with you this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.